Welcome back to LPD Cast. I'm your host, Eloy Garcia. And today we're speaking with Natoya Miller, Director of Student Giving at UCLA Development. Welcome, Natoya. Thank you for being on the cast. How are you? I'm doing great, Eloy. Thanks for the warm welcome. Now, you and I met in high school in our college preparatory class, which is AVID, which is where I'd like to begin our conversation. Could you talk to me about your leadership in high school? Were you involved at all? Yeah, so I was involved with, of course, AVID all four years. It's, like you said, a college prep course that definitely gets students ready to apply and get into colleges for your universities. And I actually applied to be in AVID in middle school. Honestly, our middle school kind of made it seem like that was the only way to go to college. And I was like, well, <laughs> I got to go to college. Um, and when I was in high school, my freshman year, while I was also in AVID, I joined dance. And so I did dance for a whole year. And with dance, it definitely taught me how to be comfortable with dancing in front of people that I don't know and messing up. But then of course, try and trying again to do better. So I feel like that gave me the confidence to just be myself and be in front of people. Um, so I did that for one year. And then my sophomore year, I decided to try something different. I also knew I didn't want to do anything that will take too much time because I felt like it was taking up enough time. <laughs> so I joined a group called PALS and it was called Peer Assistant Leadership Service. I think that's what the S stand for, stood for, but I'm not completely sure. It's basically um, conflict resolution between peers at the school. So we would actually go in if the counselor at the high school let us know that there was a conflict between two people and we would invite them to talk about the conflict and help them resolve it before a fight would break out physically on campus. And that was actually really good for me for leadership purposes because it helped me learn how to manage emotions with people. And it (laughs) made me realize that there was a lot of unnecessary drama between two peers. And it usually was because of a, a boy or a girl or whatever the job it might be. Um, my junior year, I didn't do anything. I was <laughs> so stressed out over pre-cal, it was killing me. So I didn't do any activities besides AVID and also continue to work at McDonald's for the four years while I was there in high school. My senior year, I decided to get back involved and I joined cheer. And once again, that's just great leadership. It got me in physical shape as well. And my best friends were on chair. So it was just a really great, fun experience being on chair my senior year. That's a lot of leadership. That's really impressive. I remember Pels being a bit of what I perceived to be a buddy system, but yeah. I didn't realize that it was conflict resolution, which is really intelligent to teach high school students because as adults, sometimes we need better skills in conflict resolution. So to begin at that age seems to be really important. Could you speak a little more about learning about how to process difficult feelings at that time and that age and what it did for you? Yeah, so that was actually a class, which is nice because it was during the regular schedule, but it was also a positive reinforcement of, you know, step in if you can to fix a problem. Um, and there's a better way to get it done before it escalates to a physical altercation. But the nice thing about that group was that it was mixed age. So there were some seniors, some juniors, some sophomores, and I don't think it accepted freshmen. 
And I believe it was Miss Lisa, if I'm correct, that was the teacher's name. But every time with me on a daily basis, she would give us the skills to really communicate how we're feeling. So we would do like a group circle as soon as we walk in, push all of the chairs in a circle, and we would talk about our feelings, how we're feeling today. Um, if we know of anything that's happening on campus that might need to be, you know, resolved. But I think that open circle and that vulnerability between the peers definitely made me realize what everyone was dealing with and the importance of peer support and also teacher support. Like having our teacher there made us realize that we're not in this alone and that our teachers on campus actually do care about us. So it was overall a really great experience. It sounds like it gives you tools to help put things into perspective. Definitely put things into perspective, but to be able to communicate it properly. I think a lot of people feel things and they just don't know how to say it. And I think saying it is also part of the battle as well. Putting into words where people can understand what you're going through in order for them to actually assist you properly um, to kind of navigate it in your head. I'm a true believer in therapy, and I feel like that's exactly what Powell's did for a lot of people. And during that time when I was a sophomore at our high school, I don't know if you recall, but there was a lot of fights breaking out for some reason. And when I was in Powell's, it was actually the first of two campus shutdown that I experienced because of a really big fight. And so I think if I wasn't in Powell's and I was in a, a regular course class and the fight broke out and we were under lockdown, I think I would have processed the issue differently. But fortunately, when the fight broke out in our high school, I was in Powell's and a lot of my peers knew other people who were in the conflict on campus. And so there's a lot of tears and discussion and basically a very therapeutic session for us to understand what happened in the quad and why we're in lockdown for two and a half or three hours. I do remember that time. It, it was tumultuous and it was stressful. And having those resources on campus and that support system, I think really do help everyone that's involved. Yeah, it was really good. You also mentioned that you worked at McDonald's while you were in high school. Was that all four years? All four years. True dedication. <laughs> yes. Why were you a student worker? I feel like I didn't really have to work because my parents are very supportive but I just come from a working family and like ever since I worked at McDonald's my freshman year I've always worked I've only had maybe like tops a two months gap in my employment but yeah I worked all four years and it taught me the importance of being on time which my dad has already enforced but it was like okay, this is, this is why you have to be on time because people expect you to be somewhere and they expect you to get a task done in order for the whole operation to actually be functional for the whole staff. So, um, of course, my freshman year, I think I didn't start till winter quarter, I guess, if, that, if that's what we had in high school. So maybe like January-ish. I wasn't of age legally to work yet. And so once I got my work permit and I started to accomplish a lot of things at McDonald's besides cooking because I I couldn't cook back then so I'd burn everything or myself. Learning that I needed to be there on time to stock up the breakfast drive-through area for the we're ready for the rush made me realize like how important each 
person's responsibility is in order for the operation to work smoothly. And I think it just kind of taught me the importance of being accountable. And why is accountability important in leadership? Because I feel like it's it's the only thing that kind of keep everything together. Like I can't show you or tell you to be on time or to do your job if you clearly see me not doing it. And so just like a good reminder that like you have to make sure that you are always prepared in order for your team to win. So I think that was a really good experience. And I (laughs) would recommend everyone to start at McDonald's or at least work in high school to get that experience. I agree that working in high school is a good experience. I started volunteering at about 15 years old at La Sierra Community Center. And like you, once I got my work permit, I started working in customer service as well. And and I did realize accountability is setting yourself up for success, isn't it? It really is. In your case, you're setting yourself and your team up for success. So it sounds like you learned not only leadership, but you also simultaneously learned about teamwork. Can you talk to us about teamwork? Yes, it was definitely something that I learned while working in high school, but I feel like it's just something that you hopefully experience on a regular basis. Like once I graduated high school and I went to Cal State Northridge for college, I realized living with other people is just like teamwork and accountability. And I had three roommates. It was their first time ever having like real freedom. And it was hard (laughs) dealing with their lack of, I guess you can say accountability. They didn't realize why it was necessary for them to like wash their dishes and clean up and, you know, take their hair out of the, the tub and things like that. And I was trying to like educate them about it. And it was just a conflict by itself because some people are just not ready for that responsibility or has not been taught their actions have a reaction to people that they're sharing the same space with, which I feel like that's exactly what teamwork is. Like if you don't do your part, there will be conflict because other people might actually be doing their part as well. What did you study at Cal State Northridge for your undergrad? At Cal State Northridge is actually where I declared to be a psych major. But once I arrived there my freshman year, I was undeclared. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I took a philosophy slash psychology course that I realized I was a subject that I really wanted to explore. And that's when I declared myself as a psychology major. Which is kind of interesting because I think that, yeah, yes, AVID prepares you to apply for colleges. I just don't know if they did a good job having you explore possible career options. So to kind of extend past what I was talking about, about accountability and teamwork, my roommate team was horrible and I didn't want to deal with it anymore. I wanted to make sure that my sophomore year ended on a high note with good people around me. So after my first semester as a sophomore at CSUN, I transferred to UC Riverside and I started UC Riverside January of 2009 for their winter quarter as a psych major. 
And it allowed me to come back to Riverside of my hometown and live comfortably at my parents' house with no drama. So it really allowed me to get back into the campus life and explore different clubs and orgs and focus more on my actual major versus roommate drama. And how were you involved at UC Riverside? Yeah, so UC Riverside, such a great experience. I absolutely love that school. I wish I would have gone straight there after high school, but I am a true believer that everything happens for a reason. So when I joined UC Riverside, I actually applied for their call center to work there because I worked at the call center at CSUN. And I was pretty good at calling constituents and getting donations for the university. So I just decided to continue within that field at UC Riverside. And that immediately exposed me to so many different students on campus and how diverse the campus was. And I feel like my whole college career like restarted and rebooted itself once I got to UC Riverside. My hiring manager, Min Hall, who is still my mentor to this day. Oh, wow. I know, it's so crazy. Um, it's like full circle. But he hired me when I transferred to UC Riverside. And with him and also his partner, Jamie, who I still contact as well, helped me really embrace my leadership skills further. And they promoted me to be a supervisor at the call center and gave me the responsibility to interview students, hire them, start the shift, end the shift, accept credit cards for all the donations. And it was just amazing, like I loved it. And then the other thing I joined while I was at UC Riverside is a sorority. I joined Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, which is the first black sorority of the world internationally as well. And that gave me some great leadership and of course confidence as a black woman. And I really enjoyed my experience working at the call center and being part of the sorority as well. That's really impressive. Being a sorority establishes a wonderful environment to fellowship. It also requires a lot of dedication, a lot of time. Can you talk to us about what that process was like for you, studying and pledging and being a part of this wonderful sorority? It was difficult. It really was difficult. I approached life with the mentality of, can you survive or will you survive? Or, you know, that funny um, statement like, well, did you die? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of my approach with life, which is, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's got me to where I am now. So when I joined the sorority, I was completely dedicated. You have to be dedicated, especially during the pledging process to become an official member. But it did take a lot of time and my grades did suffer, but I also knew that it was worth worth it all. The friendships, the, the sisterhood, the leadership, and the ability to defend who I am as a person all came through the sorority and it was absolutely worth it. Now, though, when I became a senior, I was like, okay, I need to step back <laughs> and really focus on my academics because this is occupying a lot of my time. But I think that's just being a responsible adult to realize how to navigate how much dedication and time you put into something and something else in order to achieve whatever goal you might have. So at the time, I already joined the sorority. On the end of my sophomore year, um, before summer started entering my junior year, that's when I really realized like I need to focus back on my academics. But I was still pretty involved in the sorority, doing both and working at the call center. 
it wasn't until my senior year I kind of slowed things down on the activity part within the sorority. What did your time management look like, if I may ask, during that heavy quarter or that heavy academic year? Whew. Wow. Time management. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So as a student at UC Riverside, I was a supervisor at the call center and the call center hours were from six o'clock to nine o'clock and you would have to work at least a minimum of three shifts. So I just knew my schedule for work, which was nice, but it also was like, once you get off at nine, you know, you weren't, you know, you weren't done. You have to go study or you have a chapter meeting or something to go to. So I think it was just me really understanding what my day-to-day -day life looks like and always being on time regardless of what it is. And if I'm not able to show up for an obligated event, I would always, of course, communicate it to the appropriate person. But yeah, I had a balanced work. I had a balanced commuting. It wasn't a long commute, but it was 30 minutes. So at least I needed to know how long did it take me to get to campus? How long would it take me to park and then walk to school and get to class on time? while also balancing the uh, responsibility of being a member of the sisterhood. So like meetings and everything that entailed it. So I would say I have really good t um, time management. And I think that it's because if you really care about something, you'll definitely put time aside to make sure that you're there and no one sees you as someone who's late. But I think that's because of my training of working while in high school and my dad who served in the Navy just taught me to be punctual. And of course that's reinforced in the sorority that you have to be on time. And if you're on time, you're late. And if you're early, you're on time. So I think I've always just been taught the importance of time. Yes, so this skill and this habit of time management really is conducive to professionalism. I really want our listeners to understand that and to have that permeate your time is also the time of others. So be careful with it, be mindful of it. I also want our listeners to be aware of accountability as it pertains to extracurricular activities. So it's important for our listeners to understand that don't overextend yourself. Don't add too much to your plate just to say you're a part of it if that means that you're gonna be stressed or not be able to be a part of it at a high level. And it sounds like you said your training is what allowed you to do that, which is great. You maintained that level of professionalism and accountability at, at the university, which isn't easy to do. Absolutely. But also just how do you want your peers to view you? And I, and I have never understood how people are okay with being late, but like I said, I'm a true believer in therapy and my therapist has told me, you know, at the end of the day, some people just prefer not to be on time and that's just what they've learned and that's what they're okay with and you can't do anything about it. But at least I'm aware of how it makes me feel if someone's late and I would hate to do that to someone else on a frequent basis. You know, there's always one-offs, but if you are always on time or, and you always communicate what you're going through, people, will, they can count on you. But you don't want to be the person they're like, okay, yeah, well, that person's always late. They're not going to be here. We'll see if they show up. Like, I don't think that's, that should not be tied to your name. And if you're comfortable with that, you might want to definitely take a step back and reevaluate your priorities. What was your senior year at UCR like? And how did you transition into your master's program? Why did you even decide to pursue a master's degree? 
my senior year at UC Riverside was exciting, exhausting, <laughs> stressful, but also rewarding. Everyone's excited to be a senior. You want to be done. You feel like your future is absolutely unlimited. But with my senior year, I was way more focused in passing my courses in Spanish. I'm just so bad at a second language. And it's just one of those things that you have to get through if you're going to a UC here in California. I don't know what the requirements in other states, but I know that a foreign language is definitely required across the board. So even though I took Spanish in high school and in college, I had Spanish 4, which is the highest level at UC Riverside, to complete in order for me to actually get my degree in psychology in my senior year. And I was stressing about it because I'm not really good at second languages. Um, speaking is not my high point in my um, career. So I, I knew I needed to put in a lot of time to be able to not only write in Spanish, but do a presentation in Spanish. So my senior year was stressful in that sense. I knew I had to really buckle down and get this Spanish thing going. And I passed with a B. So that was exciting. <laughs> I swear I didn't think I was going to survive. But yeah, my senior year, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it kind of goes back to Abbott and it goes back to maybe school in general. I don't think our counselors or our professors do a really good job letting students know what options are out there after you've achieved this big achievement, getting your degree, getting your diploma. And so my senior year graduating as a psychology major, I Knew I didn't want to be a therapist at the time because I didn't want to hear people's problems. But I also think that was just a lack of understanding what therapy really do, what they do, and also how you can be a psychologist, you can be a social worker, or you can be a counselor, and how all those different professions are has their own separate approach. So when I graduated from UC Riverside with my psych degree, I wasn't completely sure what I wanted to do. So I actually entered the workforce and that's how I started my professional career within fundraising and um, joined a company called at the time Ruffalo Cody, which is now Ruffalo Noel Levitz and started my fundraising career with them. So it wasn't until I want to say two years into the workforce that I realized I need to get my master's degree in order to, I guess you can say, grow within my profession, regardless of what I wanted to do. But I did know I would stay in the public sector, and I did know that I wanted to get my master's degree to grow professionally. So that's when I decided to get my master's in public administration. And I did that um, actually within two schools again, ironically. Um, I started at Cal State East Bay because at the time I was in the Bay Area working at Stanford for their fundraising team in the call center sector. The program for the public administration at Cal State East Bay was very convenient at the time because they would have evening classes and I worked evenings and I was able to leave work early one day out of the week to go to my class, which was a blessing by itself. But I knew that that wasn't something I can um, sustain considering that my work shift is always in the evening. So that's when I pivoted my career into alumni relations at Golden Gate University, which allowed me to actually have my evenings open because it was a regular nine to five job. 
Wow, Natoya, it sounds like you've been able to maneuver through higher ed and working in higher ed relatively well. It's been a lot, <laughs> but it's been an amazing journey from after graduating college and then taking that profession full time. Just it has taught me that the world is small, big, yes, but definitely small within your professional network. And the importance of keeping the connections that you create while going through your professional journey and the value of not burning bridges. And I think that's something that I didn't learn in high school nor in college. It wasn't until I got into the professional world that I realized how big the network is, but how small it is as well. And it's so important to keep the people that you meet and learn from by your side the whole time in order to continue to progress within your career field. I agree. And I'd like you to share a little more about relationship building after we take a quick break. Perfect. We'll do. Hello, I'm Dr. Anita, and I'm excited to say this episode of LPD Cast was sponsored by Insanity Check, where we discuss current events and we ask the question, is this crazy or is it just me? I'm your host for Insanity Check, and to catch our conversation, head over to Real Conversations with Dr. Anita on YouTube. We'll see you there. Welcome back. Now's a good time to reintroduce my guest. We're speaking with Natoya Miller, Director of Student Giving at UCLA Development. Natoya, you started talking about relationship building. Can you continue that conversation, please? Yeah, of course. So I work in the field of fundraising, and I'm currently, like you, Eloy said, the Director of Student Giving at UCLA. And when you're a fundraiser, Technically speaking, your profession is building relationships. That is all that you're basically doing. You're finding people that has a connection with the university that you're working at or the nonprofit or organization that you're working at and kind of reinforcing why they might love that institution or organization or giving them a reason why they should fall in love with it <laughs> and support it financially. So with building relationships, it's just understanding the importance of communication and the proper way to communicate. And with learning how to communicate was something that was reinforced at the call center. Because at the call center, you are making blind calls in a sense that you're just calling people who are connected with the institution and then trying to hold a conversation with them. Now, with the call center experience that I gained while at Cal State Northridge and UC Riverside, and of course, being a profession as a program center manager, I learned that everybody loves talking about themselves. And if you give them the, the room to speak on who they are, what they're interested in, and you properly listen by acknowledging what they're saying, the person will feel connected with you because you're actually letting them express who they are. And I think once you really learn who the person is, it's so much easier to ask them to support an organization or a fund. And it's all about just building that connection. So yes, I'm a fundraiser, but I want to say I'm a professional relationship builder as well. With the amount of years that you've had working in higher education, your contact list must be pretty long. 
how do you continue to maintain important relationships? Well, fortunately, we do have so many platforms since that we are the generation of technology now. I believe I got my first cell phone when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, but it wasn't until after high school that we really started getting like the internet and full access to that. But with that said, we have LinkedIn, we have Facebook, and I'm connected with basically almost everyone I came across throughout my undergraduate and professional career on LinkedIn. And so it's nice because I can kind of see where people are going within their career field, new positions they started within their employer or moving across the state for a job. I think keeping that connection is really important. I feel it's harder to do so in California because of traffic. But nowadays we have Zoom, we have FaceTime. So there's really no excuse. But it depends if the person that you're trying to connect with is comfortable with those new platforms. But yeah, I think there's unlimited ways to keep connected. It's just your priority. You know, like if you if you're interested in keeping connections with your mentor or with the person that you worked with five years ago, that's definitely dependent on you. You can't expect the person to be feeling the same way as you are. So if the person's coming across your mind, take the initiative and reach out because you never know, they actually have been thinking about you or might have a great connection for you to advance your career or start a side project or a new hobby. So I'm a true believer in just trying your best to connect and set aside some time. Even though I know life is crazy, you realize that your connections are really important overall. It sounds like you're recommending that we rely on the virtual platforms that we have for communication. Yes, it's something that I'm, I have not mastered myself, but with this coronavirus that's happening right now, um, it's definitely something that my employer is reevaluating and starting to really utilize. Today was my first official Zoom meeting conference with my development team at UCLA, and we had 44 people on the Zoom looking at each other, and it, it allowed us to reconnect in a way that we can't if we didn't have this technology, especially since we're all forced to work from home and we can't go into the office. That person that you see every morning when they're getting their coffee and you say good morning is gone, and having Zoom gives you that reinforcement of like that's who they, that's what you look like, and it, it's that face-to-face -face time that makes the biggest difference. So now it can't replace face-to-face -face time. I feel like that's just a unique and natural way to communicate, but it definitely assists with reaching out and staying connected. We were actually going to have this interview at the university that I'm currently attending, Cal State San Bernardino, at the radio station, you know, face-to-face -face having that very unique human experience that you were talking about. However, being that the state is in a precarious situation right now with the outbreak, we are using virtual platforms for communication and leaning in, which I think is mindful as well. I think when we're going through the process of higher education as first-generation students, we encounter a lot of things that are completely new to us. And if we don't adapt and lean in, we can feel like we're on the outside looking in. And exactly. Instead of being a part of it. So thank you for, for meeting with me virtually today. Of course. I think we'll also be giving our listeners a, a good example of how to persevere, how to just keep going. Like you said, we don't have an excuse with the number of virtual mediums nowadays. So 
just continue, right? Keep doing it. Exactly. Be innovative, embrace the new technology and figure out a way of how it can actually work for you. Now, Natalia, we've spoken about your high school experience with leadership, your undergrad experience with leadership, and your experience in your master's program with leadership. So can you tell us what is your philosophy on leadership and how do you live out that philosophy? My philosophy in leadership is that not everyone can be a leader. And it's unfortunate when people that do not have leadership skills are placed in a leadership or management role because they're just not, frankly, set up to be successful within that position. Um, I think people have to really recognize what a manager looks like versus a leader. And they're completely two different things. And I took a leadership course and it taught me that if you don't have anyone behind you following you, then you might not be a leader and you have to reevaluate how you approach your leadership skills. But being a leader is setting an example of how someone should perform or be or execute their task. And leadership also involves encouragement and positive reinforcement. And I think it's really good to remind people that with the whole aspect of psychology, that when you have positive reinforcement, it really does encourage someone to do better versus criticism and attacking what they might have done or did wrong. I think it's always better to, of course, let them know where they can do better versus telling them like, oh, this was horrible. A good leader definitely teaches their people who are following them how to achieve, how to grow, and encourage them to really embrace the challenges versus letting the challenges break them down. And if you don't have a leader that encourages you to do better, that's how people become stagnant and how people don't try to put more pressure on themselves to become a better person within the work field. If good leadership isn't demonstrated by, by the leader, by the person in charge, then it is difficult for everyone else to emulate that behavior, isn't it? It can really break apart a whole entire team, especially if a leader doesn't come in strong or if a leader doesn't come in with their set priorities and communicate it clearly to their team, you will lose your entire team. And I believe that a lot of organizations need to acknowledge the difference between the two. Just because someone has their degrees in a field or just because someone has X amount of years doing a certain job or whatever the case might be, doesn't mean they're qualified to lead a team to success. Some people are just natural born followers and that's absolutely okay because the working bees get a lot of things done. And some people are just really great natural born leaders and those people know how to make a team succeed while also encouraging retention. And I think a lot of places that have poor retention and poor achievement of goals is because they probably have a really bad leader and they need to get that leader out of the way and actually find someone who knows how to lead a team properly and not just someone who's chasing a title to get a job done. On that note, Natoya, what skill do you value most in a leader? I think one thing that I definitely value the most in a leader is the ability to connect everyone's weaknesses and strength in order for the whole entire team to achieve. And that's what a leader does. Like, okay, 
Natoya, you do a really great job being organized. And person B, you are very creative, which is an area that Natoya kind of lacks. So as a team together, you guys can get a lot of things done. So partner together and da-da-da-da. But I think if a leader doesn't have the ability to see their followers' strengths and weaknesses, they can't utilize it properly. So I really appreciate when a leader takes the time to get to know who they're working with, what their skill sets are, and how it can really help build that team and push forward and utilize their strength and have someone else who can overcompensate for their weakness. And that's how you just have a strong team overall. And I've had some leaders who know how to criticize but they don't know how to recognize someone's strength because they're so focused on the person's weakness that it doesn't allow anyone to shine. So I really appreciate when a leader knows how to pinpoint someone's strength and really maximize it to whatever best way that they need to, either through the the project that they're working on, or let's just say if they're training for a marathon, you have to be able to identify people's strengths and weaknesses in order to balance the whole entire spectrum out. For our listeners who may be in a difficult situation with an employer who doesn't maybe see their strengths, what can you say to them as far as them persevering through that and, and hopefully transitioning into a job that does see their strengths? But for those of us that are stuck in the in-between, what can you tell us? You have to figure it out on your own. I think it's really important for you to self-reflect and really be comfortable with communicating to yourself and to others what you are and are not good at. And I think that's just being humble. A lot of people need to realize that their biggest weakness sometimes could be their ego. And with ego prevents people to really just say, you know what, I'm not a good writer but I can put this graphic together if you give me the content to get it done. And I feel like that by acknowledging what you're not good at and being able to verbalize it to someone else, you're admitting your fault and you're also giving them an opportunity to possibly teach you something that you didn't know before. Just because you're bad at something, if you don't tell someone, no one's going to be able to give you the skills or the tools that you need in order to improve yourself. So. I really do believe that the, the first step is to understand who you are, put aside your ego, and be able to really communicate to anyone where your flaws are or your weaknesses and where your strengths are in order for you to become a better person overall. Natoya, it really sounds like a lot of your leadership is rooted in self-awareness. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. I think with my psych degree, I understand how people think. <laughs> um, and I use that as a way of understanding why people are who they are. And that alone allows you to navigate the person that you're working with. With leaders and leadership, you have to understand who you're working with. So I really do appreciate the degree I have. Um, it made me understand that everyone is different and your approach to someone has to be adjusted based on how they react to it in order for you to get the outcome that you're looking for. And I think people don't know how to distinguish the difference between the two. You can't approach two people the exact same way because it might not work. And as a leader, you have to take the time to understand how did this person respond 
to your criticism or to your review or to your assignment of projects. I think once you understand that, that's how a strong team is formed together. So one thing that I've definitely have learned over the years, um, no one's perfect and that's okay because we're in a world full of unique people. And I think that's what makes the world so special. But I want people to remember that when you set a goal, it is achievable regardless of what it is. And I've learned that over time in high school and college and outside of my professional world that a goal seems so unachievable, then once you achieve it, you're just like, what do I do next? So I encourage everyone to always have a goal after a goal. So if you're training to run a, a 5K marathon the first time ever and you're not a good runner, after you get that 5K marathon going, that same exact day when you finish, you should start planning for your next one or to run further. And what I've learned is that there's goals that I thought I would never achieve and I've achieved them. And <laughs> now I have to figure out like, well, okay, what's the next step? There's always a next step. There's always room to grow. And it's really important that you have a plan because you will achieve your goal and you want to make sure that you have another one planned right after that one's achieved. If you don't mind me asking, Natoya, could you share with us what one of those goals was? Yeah. So in high school, being an avid, I always told myself, I will get my master's degree. And that's just what I always was focused on. So even after I graduated from UC Riverside with my BA in psychology and I entered the workforce within fundraising, when I went out to Wisconsin to work at St. Norbert College to help them with their call center, even then I knew like, okay, at some point I'm going to have to go back to school. Like, this is great. I'm getting some great experience, but I'm not done yet. And just having that reminder of like, okay, you know that you set this goal to get this master's degree. You're doing great work. Yes. But you still have this thing that you need to achieve. And so that was always on the back of my mind when I was navigating through my career. And it wasn't until two years into my career when I actually started my master's program because I knew that that was something that I needed to get done in order for me to be happy with where I am in my life. And even with that, getting my master's degree and working in fundraising in the call center, one thing that a lot of fundraisers who start at the bottom realize that there is so many opportunities at the top and there's different ways of getting there but the only way to really get there is to work hard of course show them that you are dedicated to the cause of raising funds for the organization that you're working for and when i was a program center manager my first year in green bay wisconsin at st norbert college i would look up to the leaderships there at st norbert within the development team there would be um, a director of annual giving, a director of stewardship, a director of alumni association. And I just thought those positions were absolutely unachievable. But I knew I wanted it. <laughs> I knew at some point that I wanted to get out of the phone-a-thon world and explore different avenues within fundraising. And I saw people who I've met over time that worked at the call center as a program center manager pivot into working directly for the university as a director or an assistant director role within development. And I just, I just thought it would just be the hardest thing ever to do. And it was, don't get me wrong, I've applied to many of jobs and I wasn't ready for it at the time. 
And so for me to be the director of student giving at UCLA, I am absolutely blessed, so grateful, but it also is a reminder that those dreams that you think are unachievable with time and you being focused on achieving those goals, you're going to achieve it. So here I am one year and three months at UCLA within this director position role. And it's honestly time to set new goals because I've already accomplished them. I got my master's degree. I am working at a four-year university within the development team and doing great work, but there's more to achieve. So I just encourage everyone who's listening to this to dream big and continue to focus on those dreams as long as you continue to work towards it because you're going to achieve it with time, but it's going to happen. And that's a beautiful thing about the world if you're dedicated towards what you're working towards. It sounds like you've accomplished quite a few goals so far. What's your next bucket list item? I think my next bucket list item would definitely to purchase a home. Um, I think that's my next step now that I've been back in Southern California for three years and definitely settled down with, within my career field once again. I think the next step is to invest in a property versus dropping all this money into a rental and not benefiting the you know, the benefits of actually having your own property. So with that, it's just, you know, a reevaluation of where do I want to be long-term um, and also California is expensive. So <laughs> and I think that's definitely something that's on my radar. Um, and I, I think that we might be going into a recession, which could benefit my goal of getting a property, but we shall see. But that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. Fingers crossed, Natoya. I'm yes. hoping that it happens sooner rather than later and that your home, your first home, is everything you want and more. Thank yes. you so much for being here with us, Natoya. And I hope you are on the cast again soon. Me too. Please invite me back. I would love to speak and, you know, give my input if it can help someone out there. Absolutely. Thank you for being with us, Natoya. Of course. Thank you. Thank you.